Welcome to the Vaccination Station. My name is Dave, and today I am speaking with Lydia. Lydia, nice to have you Hi, here. Hi, thank you for having me. Lydia, let's start by getting to know you. Can you tell me three things about yourself that you think the audience would find interesting? Uh, I used to work as a quality control chemist before I became a mom. I... Uh, yeah, I did uh, uh, quality control for a pharmaceutical plant and um, used to work for the quote-unquote enemy. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. Um, I live in a pretty isolated community in Canada. It's surrounded by mountains and wilderness and I have deer walk through my yard every day and yeah, it's uh, it's not anything like regular North, like America, like how people picture even just a major Canadian city or whatever. It's quite, quite a different way of living. I grew up in the city, but I prefer it out here. Third thing. Oh, I'm in nursing school. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I just started. Uh, this January, and I know it's going to take me a while because I've got three kids, but I hope to become a public health nurse and maybe even a nurse practitioner someday. So, yeah. That's, that's really terrific. Thanks, Lydia. In fact, you've, you've prompted a few questions there. Firstly, what did you do as a quality control person in the chemical slash pharmaceutical industry? The plant industry? I worked at made um, bulk drugs for like, they, so we'd make the drug that would be shipped to another plant that would, you know, blend them with their, whatever they mix pills with and then stamp them into pills. Like we made like the actual active ingredients for quite a few drugs. And as a quality control chemist, I had to um, analyze the uh, starting material for purity and any contaminants like heavy metals. Then I had to do reaction monitoring to make sure like reactions were proceeding in the right direction because sometimes side reactions occur and then that contaminates your final product. So you want to kind of watch for that. And then the final product I had to test for purity. So, yeah. And then even right down to like when they would clean out the vessels, like they would bring swabs, like the plant operators would bring a swab that they swab the vessel with after cleaning. And I'd have to like test those swabs to see if there was any product in them. So just to determine like for the next batch, if it was clean, right? So every step in a pharmaceutical um, manufacturing process is like heavily, heavily monitored. Yeah. And what testing methods did you use? Uh, I mean, and, and what's the, the physical process? I mean, no one imagines that you stand there next to a conveyor belt, poking at pills and sniffing them no. to check that they, they uh, look Like okay. HPLC and gas chromatography uh, was the main two, but we also did like, you know, wet chemistry, like with like colored reagents and stuff like that as well. And yeah, but mostly like, chromatography 
some NMR as well. The place where you live sounds just wonderful. I'm an introvert, so it would be perfect it, for me. It's Absolutely. so isolating. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um, the nearest city is two, a two-hour drive. And it's not even a big city. It's, like, pretty small uh, compared to, like, the next biggest city, which is four hours away. And then my town itself has about 3,000 people in it so do you ever see moose around where you live yeah sometimes but it's mostly deer and elk but like my husband goes hunting every year we we eat a lot of venison because of that but yeah he gets moose sometimes too and a moose will feed you a lot longer than a deer because they're just massive I remember yeah. the, the first time I saw one on YouTube, I couldn't believe the size of it. It was just enormous. I sort of had a vague idea that they were just slightly larger than average deer size kind no, of thing. No, they're but massive. They, are gigantic. They, they, they can kill, like, they, they can be quite lethal if you hit one with your vehicle because they have such long legs. So your vehicle, like, hits their legs and then their whole body just gets airborne and it comes right at your windshield so they've been known to cause lethal accidents if you hit them while driving like it is yeah they are massive so let's talk about your position on vaccination where you started what your journey was and how you arrived at where you are today. I, I want to start by asking if your parents were vaccinated. My parents were vaccinated, but not as like with very basic vaccinations. They're, they're from the former Yugoslavia and they have their smallpox scars. Um, they had uh, D, DTP, so like the original like toxoid vaccines. And I think that was it. So my parents tell me stories of Measles, mumps, uh, rubella, um, meningitis, uh, like, so people did get these things a long time ago. And the reason why it's not really talked about is because it was a part of life. Like you had to be stoic about this stuff. You couldn't just, we're so detached from disease and death. And I think it's just this like abstract idea but like when you have to live that as part of your life, you just, you learn to, to live with it. You, that is just the way it is. And, and so it wasn't a big deal. Even when I asked my mom, oh yeah, we just, we went through that. And it's, but it's, my mom has hearing issues from having mumps. And my dad lost his best friend from influenza when he was a kid. So like, there was a lot of loss associated with it, but it was just the way it is and you kind of have to carry on. So, you know, but yeah, they did have some vaccines, smallpox being one of them for sure, because both of my parents have that scar on their arm. So your parents uh, had an interesting situation in that they received vaccines that were available, but they also lived in a time before many other vaccines were available. And as a result, they saw the damage uh, and in some cases experienced the damage and loss that those diseases can cause. 
which I have no doubt left a, a, a strong impression on them. Yeah. What What did they do with you then? Did um, Did they fully vaccinate you as a child? Yes. Yeah, and it's funny because I actually got to see my records recently when I started nursing school. And my mom, I was showing them to my mom and she's like, I don't remember. I just, I think I just did it. Like it was just a thing you just, you just took your kids for their shots. Which she's like, I don't even remember that you went that often for your shots. I'm like, yeah, no, you did. You took me for all of them. I had my oral polio and uh, MMR and DTP. And so I had all of the basic ones from the eighties. So yeah, I was, I was fully vaccinated and uh it wasn't yeah. really questioned when my parents were doing it anyway. My parents um, were pro-vax, but I missed out on a couple of vaccines because they weren't on the official state schedule yet. So chickenpox was one. So I ended up catching chickenpox. Yeah. Uh, measles was another one. I caught I caught measles, and that wasn't a huge amount of fun either. Um, and I either caught whooping cough or or mumps i know it's one other one i think it was whooping off of course being a provax parent as i am now i've, I've made sure my children are, are fully vaccinated and i've also gone back and i've actually had some vaccines uh, as an adult that i i didn't get as a kid so i've i've actually gone into my local vaccine clinic and i've had my two jabs of mmr for example yeah i mean strictly speaking i i probably don't need that i'll certainly be getting the shingles vaccine when i'm old enough to receive that because having caught i'm i'm more vulnerable to getting shingles later in life but i thought i may as well get the mmr anyway um because firstly because hey you know it protects against mumps and i haven't had mumps so it's probably a good idea to get that vaccine anyway Uh, but secondly also to to show anti-vaxxers i'm willing to put my my money where my mouth is i don't mind walking into my vaccine clinic and paying out of my own pocket to get the mmr vaccine which you keep telling me is so dangerous fine i'll get two doses of mmr vaccine now i'm fully fully vaccinated with MMR and as expected, there were absolutely no side effects whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, they can't say to me, well, you're under vaccinated. You haven't had some of the vaccines that are available now. Yeah. Well, I've had all the vaccines I'm supposed to get and I'll be having more further down the track, like shingles, for example. Yeah. And I even went back and got the MMR. So, you know, yeah, I, I'm, I... I'm actually... I've only had one MMR and they recommend two now, but I, because I'm on immune suppressants, I can't take that one, but I did go back cause I missed the, I was a grade ahead when they started vaccinating for hepatitis B. So my little brother got hep, hep B vaccines in high school, but I was um, the grade past the time they decided to start that. So I never got hep B vaccines. So I started my hep B vaccines recently as well. So I've gotten two of those. The first one was not too bad. The second one, I kind of felt a little off for a couple of days, but then I was fine. So I, I have my third one coming up in a month here and then I'll be totally caught up and I'm not concerned about it at all. And any little side effects you get are a sign that your immune system is reacting and kicking in as it's supposed to. So yeah, I'm not concerned. 
One vaccine I've received that most people in the West don't get because it's it's not on a schedule is tuberculosis. I received the tuberculosis vaccine when I was in primary school. And the reason for that is because we had a, a, a teacher come over from Indonesia who spent some time at our school and taught Indonesian as, as a, a second language to us. And oh. while she was there, it was determined that she was a tuberculosis carrier. Oh, yeah. She was asymptomatic, but she was a, a carrier. So our entire school basically had to have tuberculosis shots. Uh, and I had mine then. And I was, I don't know, maybe about 11, maybe 12 years old. Yeah. Um, and the tuberculosis shot is very distinctive. It it comes in a, well, back then it, it came in a big solid they poke it into your skin, don't they? It's yeah, like a, and it leaves a scar, yeah. and that scar yeah. is is quite pronounced and very visible. And you can spot it on other people if you know if you know where to look. And that scar oh. stayed with me for absolutely years. I don't think it faded away until about my twenties. Oh. Maybe there's a maybe there's a tiny little remnant of it still today. But but you know that was the worst side effect I got from was a, a groovy. My dad's oh. smallpox scar is a crater on his arm. It's like, it's like a total divot because he, they said, you're not supposed to go swimming for the, for a few days after. And it was a really hot day. My dad said when he got his smallpox uh, vaccine and he went swimming and he said, it just crested over and like, cause he went in a lake of course. And it just like, it, it was awful. And he, yeah, he has like this crater in his arm from his smallpox vaccine. Cause he didn't listen to them. And tuberculosis, like, reminded me, like, my mom, my mom grew up as an orphan because of tuberculosis. Her, her uh, siblings and her had it when she was four, and her mother had it, and her mother ended up dying, not because of the tuberculosis itself, but she ended up needing a blood transfusion while in hospital, and they gave her the wrong blood type, and she ended up dying from getting a transfusion of the wrong blood type, but she was quite sick uh, when that happened, before that happened as well with the TB. My mom remembers her older sister feeding her onions, raw onions, raw onions, because that was said to um, act as an expectorant and be an antibacterial while they waited to get antibiotics. So my mom was <laughs> force fed raw onions for weeks at four year old, four years old. I don't remember much of anything at four. That's a very strong memory for her and her mother being very sick. That's the last thing she remembers of her own mother. And uh, yeah, it, it, it set up her life to be very different than what it would have been had her mother lived. Her father became an alcoholic, uh, the social services, you know, took her away and put her in foster care, which is basically slavery, because in communist Yugoslavia, that's what foster kids were. They just gave you out to all these farms and you worked from sun up to sundown. And my mom had a very, very rough life because she lost her mom at such a young age. So, yeah. Yeah, so tuberculosis is, again, just people forget that in the West, this was a 
big disease, a serious disease, a very widespread disease. And the only reason the average person doesn't think about it today is because we basically eliminated it from Western countries through the vaccine. But if you go back to, say, the, even as, as uh, late as the late 19th century, early 20th century, it was still a major threat. And you look at some of the most famous uh, writers, for example, of, of the 19th century, plenty of them died from tuberculosis or, or moved to warmer climates to try and cope with the symptoms of their uh, tuberculosis. And it still ended up succumbing yeah. anyway. So yeah, my mom this was a part of everyday lung tissue and she didn't quite understand that it was tuberculosis she found out actually much later as an adult she had a chest x-ray and there was scarring like there was these white marks on her chest x-ray she had no idea and she was scared she was trying to figure it out and she's talking to her sister and her sister's like you had tb and and then my mom's like right that's why you guys are doing all that stuff and like because she knew tb had killed her mom but she didn't know she and her twin brother and her sibling the rest of her siblings had tb as well at that time so yeah she's actually got scar tissue on her lungs from having tb at four years old so with all that pro vax background uh you later became um, a, a parent yourself. What was your position on vaccines by the time you became a parent? I was, I was pretty pro-vax because I, I do love science. And like, even though, like I was one of the first people in my family to even go to college. So like, I was really, really keen on learning all kinds of stuff. I tutored biochemistry when I was in college. Like I loved science so much. And I got flu shots every year because I have Crohn's disease as well. And so like it was recommended, like you get your flu shot every year. And then when I got pregnant with my daughter, I, uh, I got a flu shot with her. And then, and then when she was born, I don't know why I hesitated. And maybe it was just nerves or what. I just, I just remember like, and maybe I had heard a couple of anti-vax things I, by then. I don't know. And then that maybe stuck with me as I was waiting to vaccinate her. But I remember just sitting there being like really nervous. Like, I can't undo this. What if something happens? Like, it, it was just very scary for me. And I just remember my husband trying to like talk me down. He said, you know, they, they just want to help your child, you know, prevent these diseases. And, and why would they want to hurt her? Like, they're not here. They're not in the business to hurt babies. And I said, yeah, you know, you're right. And I went through with it. And then she reacted a little strongly and it scared me. And I called a nurse and I said what was happening. And, and uh, she said, you know, you're a first time mom and you're just overreacting. But from what you told me, she's fine. And, and I, um, I just didn't feel I got the, the answer I was looking for. And I felt very brushed off and, and I had to, as a first time mom, I had to deal with her and her reaction and her crying and her being overly tired afterwards and not wanting to nurse afterwards and just shrieking in pain. And, and now I know it was likely like a localized pain reaction that she was having, but I didn't get any like explanation. Just that's a very typical thing. Well, if that's typical, that's horrible. Like, <laughs> you know, I <laughs> think like what, this is like this may be common but i don't think this is normal like you just you you your mind just runs with it and and 
and then you want to find an answer. And like when my daughter was born, like the internet mom forum was really taking off. There was multiple forums out there for parents. I think there's like two left now, if that, but like when she was born, there was many. And yeah, they, the, the internet moms, they give you answers and you want to prevent that from happening again. So you listen <laughs> and it's very powerful, you know, when you're afraid. Yeah. That, that initial flash of fear that you get when you see something unfamiliar that seems quite alarming and yet medical professionals are brushing it off. Oh, this is normal. No, this is not a problem. I can understand why you would think, especially if you haven't seen it before, why you would think, why are they downplaying what actually looks to me like something quite serious or potentially yeah. quite serious? Um, maybe they, maybe they've just seen a lot of reactions and, and, you know, they're so used to this, they might be dismissing something as harmless when it could actually be more severe or, uh, you know, are they, are they just not really concerned or have they overlooked something or are they mistaking it for something else? I can understand as a parent why those fears would would go through your mind as well. So what happened after that then? So what 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 did you do? Did you slow down vaccination or did you yeah. become hesitant? Yeah, I for I became hesitant and I and, and um I was convinced it was DTaP. Like that was a huge thing. Like they still blame DTaP for everything today like in those circles like DTaP is the worst thing you could ever do. And um, so I, I thought, okay, I'll skip DTAP and I'll, I'll do, in Canada, they were doing meningococcal and Prevnar at that time. And I did those two and she was fine. She didn't react. But then I kept like going on those forums, trying to like plan out my um, alternative vaccine schedule. Like, well, which one's do I need and which one? And then you just kind of like get, like inaction almost becomes easier. Like you're so afraid to do something that might harm your child that it's just after a while, like just doing nothing is easier than taking an action and then having to own the result of that action. So, What's your position on vaccines now? How, how has it progressed since then? And and how did you progress? How did you begin to change your position on this? I always like to think I was open-minded. And I once a year, I'd, I'd kind of try to find a reason, like, okay, am I wrong about this? But of course, if you like ask your echo chamber, <laughs> you get the same answer. So like, I didn't want to sit there spending all my time like researching on why I shouldn't vaccinate my daughter. So every year or so after I had kids, I would go and I'd research, but then I found like, I was like asking my echo chamber what I wanted to hear, not what I needed to hear. And then when COVID started happening, I really started freaking out, not because I thought COVID, like I'm, don't get me wrong. I don't want COVID. I'm afraid of COVID, but it wasn't necessarily that it was, like people were going crazy. There was rationing at the grocery store. I could only buy one pack of beef. You know, people were buying toilet paper like crazy for some reason. And it was like, things seemed uncertain. Um, 
And like, I thought a lot of people were losing their jobs and like the economy was like on the verge of collapse at any minute. So I realized, especially in countries where this has happened and it's happened in even my parents' country, Yugoslavia slash Serbia slash all the other Yugoslavian countries, they've had to reprint their money several times. Like this is not, this is not an impossibility. It happens and it's happened to Venezuela and a couple other countries that had like their economies completely, you know, turn upside down. They lose like sanitation, they lose healthcare and these diseases come back. And that's what freaked me out. Like what is going to happen if for whatever reason, everything kind of starts to collapse on itself. And then I'm going to have three kids with no vaccines and that's going to be the least of my worries in a lot of ways but you don't know you don't know what could happen right so i really started like questioning my choices then and i started by reading challenges to the tropes that i had always believed and um I, I decided at that point, I'm like, I'm going to vaccinate the older kids because their blood brain barrier is formed. This was the first trigger actually that helped me start reading more was I'm going to do the older kids and then I'm going to see like, when is the blood brain barrier really formed so I can vaccinate my youngest. And that's when I realized like that was just a lie, a lie that I believed a very long time. And and so I realized like babies are born with an intact blood brain barrier. And it's actually very difficult to cross the blood brain barrier. And if we knew how to do it better, like uh, Isaac uh, Lindenberger, he had a blood brain barrier specialist on his podcast talk about how difficult, and if we could actually do that, we could come up with ways to take like anti-cancer drugs to brain tumors, which we can't we have a hard time doing because of that blood brain barrier. And I thought, oh man, if I fell for that, like what else, what else did I fall for? And I started like being more open to being wrong and it's uncomfortable. It's not an easy thing to like realize how for so many years you were wrong. So what were the kinds of sources that you started looking at? What, what material did you find convincing and why? I really enjoyed, I watched a few talks by Paul Offit on YouTube. Paul Offit, used to, I used to consider him the enemy in a lot of ways when I was in the anti-vaxxers. I just thought that horrible man, he just doesn't understand. But um, he's got a lot of like interesting things and and um, Vaxipedia is very good. Like there's like, it's very concise and clear with lots of sources for the information that you can look up yourself. And so I really read that. Um, I started talking to Taryn from the Vaccine Mom, uh, Taryn Chapman. She's really great too. Like she really knows her stuff. And uh, I talked to Nicole Baldwin, I would text her sometimes. 
like message her like, hey, I'm just starting and I know you've seen kids get vaccinated a million times. So I'm just, my kids are going to be fine. Just, you just need to tell me my kids are going to be fine. Like, I know they're going to be fine, but I just need you to tell me that this is fine. And so she would be like, yeah, you're doing this. Like, good for you. Like, so it was nice to get support, but I just reached out to whoever like would talk to me about just starting vaccinating my kids. So I, I needed that peace of mind, especially when I took that first step into bringing my children to the public health center to get vaccinated. Okay, so you've you've reached out to to some people, and and the names you've given me are familiar. I've uh, interviewed Taryn Chapman, for example, on my podcast, uh-huh. and um, I would like to get Nicole Baldwin on as well at some point uh, because uh, she's just excellent. Her material is always always she's good, so, and she's so sweet. She's just a very very nice person. Yeah. Uh, Vincent Ianelli runs the uh, Vaxopedia website yeah. and he's another one I would like to interview. But what was it about these people and what they were saying to you that made them convincing? Because you'd had plenty of reassurance from your echo chamber that what they were telling you was the right yeah. thing. And they, and they were even telling you what you wanted to hear, but now people are telling you what you might not necessarily want to hear or, you know, saying, yes, you do need to get your child vaccinated. Yes, this this vaccine really is important, which mm-hmm. is not necessarily what you want to hear. But what reasons or what rationale or what was it about mm-hmm. the way they communicated with you or the material they showed you that made it more convincing than the message you were getting from your anti-vax echo chamber? Honestly, and I, it sounds so dumb because I have a science background, but it was just, and I, that's what's crazy about this. Like I have a science background and I chose to like listen to these like little anecdotes and these small, like, underpowered studies over like large robust ones and I think it was just being willing to accept that maybe there isn't this huge because you have to fall into this mind that everything's a conspiracy that's out to rip you off and harm you and I just that is such an exhausting way to live your life to not and I see so many people falling for that and it really is a personal hell to have like these people that are falling for all the conspiracy theories that are out there now, like it is not a happy way to live. And I'm not saying I chose this so I could be happy or like, you know, ignorance is bliss or whatever. I chose this because at some point you have to realize like people are inherently good and hundreds and thousands of doctors are not signing up to harm your child. Like that's not the most likely that's not Occam's razor. That's, that makes no sense, you know? And I just decided to just have faith in people and have faith in science and have, yes, it's a corporation, but it's also people that are, you know, wanting to help reduce infant mortality and wanting to help pull people out of poverty with science. Like this is a just and noble cause and it's there's nothing nefarious about it and I had to really just 
accept that because to be part of that crowd you have to believe everything is this nefarious plot to harm and kill you like you have to and after a while like nothing is there's nothing is true because it, it's it's a horrible way to live the way that these conspiracy theorists and and anti-vaxxers and stuff it, it is not it is not an easy way to navigate through life when you say that the conspiracy mindset is exhausting i can understand why you say that because the problem with conspiracy theories is that they have to keep growing larger to accommodate any new information or mm -hmm. any arguments, any counter argument that would seem to undermine the claims being made. So that the more and more scaffolding has to be built on yeah. top of the conspiracy theory to explain away alternative evidence or explanations. And then the conspiracy theory itself becomes multifaceted. Different conspiracy theories have to be grafted in wherever they will fit and sometimes yeah, where, it, where they don't. And the whole thing gets, gets increasingly complicated and messy and more difficult to sustain because it, it begins to really drag uh, on, on the credibility of, of, its, of its adherents. And I didn't really think anti-vax was conspiracy uh, until they started making bedfellows with other conspiracies. So like the anti-vaxxers are now friends with the flat earthers and they're now friends with the moon landing deniers and they're friends like, and then I, that's another thing that made me take like a step back. Like I am sure we landed on the moon. I'm sure the earth is round. Like I don't subscribe to these ideas. So then I really had to ask myself, like I could be wrong about this. I really, I, I think I could be wrong. And it's not easy it, to say like, I've been wrong for 12 years. I guess it's better than being wrong for 13 years, but you know, it's not an easy thing to go through. I want to touch on the issue of autoimmune diseases because that is another big concern that many parents have. Uh, my child, they might say, my child has an autoimmune disease and I'm concerned that this means he can't have a vaccine or my child doesn't have an autoimmune disease and I'm concerned that the vaccine will give him one. Yeah. Now, I have, I have two autoimmune diseases. I have ankylosing spondylitis, which is a form of arthritis, yeah. and I have ulcerative colitis, which yeah. as a, a Crohn's disease sufferer, you will, you will know as a form of uh, inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah. Uh, neither of these conditions invalidate me for vaccination. They have no yeah. relevance to vaccination in, in, in any way at all. Yeah. Them. How did you get your FMR shot? Were you not on any meds at the time? I was not taking, no, I was not taking my anti-inflammatories at the time. Um, okay. I've been in remission for for some time. Okay. Um, my, my ulcerative colitis has been in remission, so I haven't been taking anti-inflammatories for that. So I was able to, oh, you know, go ahead with that, without any drama. Yep. Um, but even I, you know, I've got two autoimmune conditions and even I would do my best to make sure that I was vaccinated 
to the max. Um, and yes, there are certain autoimmune conditions that people have or immunodeficiency problems that people have, which do make them um, more vulnerable and therefore ineligible to receive some activated vaccines yeah. or some active vaccine. But these risks are extremely well documented and your doctor will go through them with you and confirm which yeah. vaccines are recommended for you and which aren't. So it's not a case of, oh, they accidentally gave me the wrong one or, you know, yeah. they just keep throwing vaccines at me and now they've realised they or shouldn't they have given me one. every single Nothing vaccine. Like and like, even when yeah. I vaccinated my kids, they didn't get every single vaccine they missed. They got the vaccine, the amount of vaccines that they needed to catch up for their age group. So it's not even a matter of, well, now I'm vaccinating my kids, so they're going to get every single jab that they missed and since that they were, you know, they were born. And that's not what happened at all. So I, I that's it. And so you would see these things like like they just want to vaccinate you with everything. Well, no, that's not true. They actually have a system to determine which vaccines you're eligible for at any given time. Um, it's if it were about giving you all of them, then they would just give you all of them regardless. So there is, it's almost like there's research behind it. <laughs> yeah. Anti, anti-vaxxers love to tell the story, you know, I, uh, I was vaccine hesitant and then I finally broke and I took my child to get caught up and they gave him 15 vaccines in one day. And now, you know, yeah. Yeah, he's never been the same since. Well, that's obviously a lie. They're not going to give him fixed 15 vaccines in, in oh, one no. day because no. the multiple doses have to be spaced out anyway. Yeah. And uh, certainly there's, there's no schedule that would say the child catching up gets 15 on, on one day. That, that's just completely the most one of my children got in a day was my oldest. She got four in a day. And she didn't have to, like the, the nurse was nice. She's like, listen, you can do two now or do two, like two in a couple weeks. You don't have to get four shots now. But I just looked at my dad, I'm like, can we just do the four shots? And <laughs> cause then we don't have to come back. You're done until grade nine. Cause she's in grade uh, seven now. So you're done until your friends and you are getting vaccinated for grade nine. She's like, all right, but I get another, uh, she likes the bubble tea. She's like, I get one more bubble tea then. And I was like, okay, deal. And so she got four shots in one visit. She had sore arms, but she didn't get a fever. She didn't get any kind of like sore joints or muscles or any kind of achiness or nothing. She was fine. And that was four, but she got hepatitis B, she got HPV, she got MMRV, and she got a DTaP with polio all in one day. And she was totally fine. So what advice would you give to a vaccine hesitant parent who is wavering on, on the fence about this issue um, and says, oh, but, you know, one side seems very convincing and then the other side seems very convincing. And I hear all these stories from parents. There's so many anecdotes out there and how can you doubt a parent's experience? And then on the other side, there's these scientists, but you know, science changes and, and you know, what if they're wrong this time and, and five years or 10 years or 15 or 20 years down the track, we find out that they were wrong and, yeah. and now it's all changed. What, what advice would you give someone who's on the fence and doesn't know which side to commit to because 
The amount of information coming up seems overwhelming, and it appears that both sides have a strong case. Um, I would, you know, I found comfort, and not everyone's going to have the time to do this, but I've surrounded myself with people that are almost like experts in the field, and look at who is telling you this information. If it is a chiropractor, maybe they don't know what goes in a vaccine, how they're made, what they do to the body. I doubt it. If it's, you know, a, a pediatrician that uh, is no longer, you know, is kind of an outcast and, and there's no other pediatrician that really recommends them anymore, uh, maybe don't buy their book because that's how they're making their money now because they can't, they probably can't practice anymore, you know? Like there's definitely signs you can look for in the people that are giving you this information. Um, and there's also a, uh, a dismantling of every single anti-vaccine argument out there. And it, there's so much evidence that uh, supports vaccines and so much evidence that proves those tropes completely wrong, completely false. I can't tell you how many that I used to believe only to find like, like the saline placebo thing. There's saline placebos, you know, like there's so many of these tropes that are so false. And when presented with the real anti-vaxxers, when presented with that evidence, like you can't sue manufacturers. I say, no, that's not true. Here's the evidence, like you can. Oh no, no, that's not true. Like even with the evidence, these people will still continue to say the same things over and over again. And that's a huge red flag. Like if you're shown information like that is robust, large studies, maybe the people that go against that are wrong, you know? That's, that's very sound advice. Um, but the key tactic that anti-vaxxers like to use is less scientific and more emotional. Yes. For example, they, they love their, their powerful anecdotes and their, their stories. And they will say, well... And even look into the famous this, ones, because there are some famous anecdotes out there and when you look into them that's not what happened like i'm not even gonna say no, her, i'm not even gonna say her name because i don't want her coming after me but like one of them is you know you know who i'm talking about and that's not what happened <laughs> you know that's not what happened and i know what that's not what happened but she's managed to convince a large group of parents to terrify them out of vaccinating their child for fear that their child may die you know, so look a little closer at what these people are saying. Like, is it what is what they're saying true? Because if, if you look a little deeper, it's not. And that I, I don't me to uh, my next point, which is what they will say is if you doubt this anecdote or this story, mm -hmm. or 
claim that this this mother is making you're essentially claiming or uh, accusing her of of lying and why would a parent lie about something so terrible that ha would have had happened to their child what do they gain from it what's in it for them and how dare you tell this person that their it, experience is yeah. wrong they had the experience it's hard I can empathize with that because I know what this parent wants. They want a reason. And I wanted that reason too. And I, I get that. And I was convinced. I was convinced my daughter had cryencephalitis because of the information that I was given from these groups. So I get that. And I would, I, I would claim like something bad happened to my daughter. And I know like her brain was probably swollen. Like I would have sworn that that was the truth, you know, and so I can get why they think they're telling the truth, but the evidence doesn't show that. And it doesn't make like it doesn't make what happened to their child not important or their child's current condition not important. Like I'm not disparaging any parent that has an autistic child. Like I have an autistic child too. It is important, you know, to acknowledge the struggle that is involved with that. What I won't acknowledge is that vaccines caused somebody's autism. So those are two different things. I can totally empathize with a parent and their struggles. I cannot support uh, their reasoning behind it if it has to do with something that there's no evidence for. Yeah, that's a very good answer. and really it cuts to the core of the issue which is you know when when faced with a challenge uh, a highly emotional one like are you accusing this mother of lying or do you think a mother would lie about their experience with it with her child the simple answer is yes uh, and it's it's demonstrably true some parents do lie about their children they lie about the experiences that, that their children are supposed to have had they sometimes lie about medical conditions their child does have or doesn't yeah. have uh, moon cousins by proxy uh, oh, for example yeah. is very well documented yes. so there are plenty of people out there lying about their children's conditions or just and, misled about their children's conditions like at the same time there are many people who are yeah. honestly lying. badly informed or have been led astray or being convinced by other people that this is the case yeah. so they have been led to interpret their experience through a set of goggles with a you know, a predetermined worldview. And then they've adopted that worldview for, for whatever reason. Some parents do it out of a, a need to find a reason beyond themselves as because they, they feel guilty and there's a desperate need to obviate their guilt. So they need another reason for their child's condition that doesn't involve them. And yeah. we've certainly seen that in, in a few cases and particularly yeah. in the one that you've alluded to. Yeah. So yes, the, the simple answer to this, to this challenge is, well, yeah, they could be lying. I mean, I don't necessarily know for sure. It depends on yeah. the situation. And it depends on the information available to us. But absolutely, parents can and do oh, yeah. lie about their, their yeah. children. Uh, and sometimes they will do it for attention, for money or, or whatever, or because there's some kind of psychological issue at, at play. Yeah. And sometimes because they, they are mistaken. But the bottom line is, yes, some parents will be deceptive about their children and their their experiences yeah. and some parents have been honestly misled by others yeah. and that's this is why we have to rely on the science 
because you cannot yep. use an anecdote as a reason to not vaccinate your children because you don't know. All you know is the science and the data and the large studies. Like that's what, the larger the study, the better because the, no, the noise kind of gets filtered out and you can trust the result more. Like, like the whole Wakefield thing with 12 kids, like, which is proven to be wrong. Like he's a joke anyway, but besides the fact, like, let's say, let's say they didn't retract the study. It's 12 kids. You cannot come to a conclusion of any kind with 12 kids. Like it's, it's impossible. All those little studies do is say, hey, there's something we can maybe look at here in a bigger picture to see if this actually means anything. You cannot use any small study to determine the truth about anything. So, yeah. That's, that's it. The beauty of the science is that it is objective. It doesn't have a, an agenda to push. Yeah. And it will lay out the evidence and scrutinize it from every angle and then arrive at a conclusion that is based on that evidence and a conclusion that is verifiable, demonstrable, repeatable. And that is the beauty of the scientific method. That's how it allows us to arrive at concrete conclusions that have no room for doubt. And the thing about, so oh, sorry, go on. Yeah. So what advice would you give to a pro-vax person who is approaching a vaccine hesitant or an anti-vax so person? Anti-vax with is the aim different. Like it's, yeah. I'm, it's hard to convince a, a very anti-vax person, but a hesitant person, like I would say like, okay, I want to hear your concern. Like what, did you hear that makes you second guess vaccination? Because you can dismantle it, but you have to let them, you can't just be like, you're wrong and you know, whatever. Like, let's see what you're concerned with. Like bring me the evidence that you think you have for your concerns. Let's go through it together. That's what I think would be the best way to deal with someone that's like on the fence or hesitant or doesn't know what to, how to interpret what they're, hearing because a lot of people are naturally uh, pro-vaccine but they don't know why so their inclination is to vaccinate their child but they don't know enough science behind what vaccines are how they work or the studies or whatever so then they're more likely to hear an anti-vax argument and go well that that sounds horrible <laughs> you know that sounds like it could be true or whatever so the I think the best way is to educate people in general, even if they aren't hesitant, just educate everybody about vaccines because that's the best way to fight the misinformation. But in general, like dealing with a hesitant person, you have to just be patient and let them bring their concern to you and provide the evidence and even explain how this evidence compared to this evidence is more reliable, more robust or whatever because it's hard for people to, to navigate that at times too. Yeah, that's, that's certainly the case. People need help to interpret evidence, especially if it's evidence or information of a sort that they're not familiar with or, or that requires mental and intellectual tools that they may not have acquired themselves or skills, mental skills and, and, 
analytical competencies that they haven't actually acquired yet. And that, of course, is where the experts come in, or at least the, the well-advised amateurs who can mm. come in and sort of break it down in layman's terms and say, yeah. well, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I understand this pretty well from what I've, I've read, and I can explain this to you in, in everyday yeah. language. And that's very yeah, relatable. And here's some scientists you, you, that know what they're talking about. Like, here's their books. Yeah. Here's, their, here's what they've Like, I'm not going to sit there and say I'm an expert. Like, I'll gladly say to people, like, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you have to be willing, and I will say that now. I, I'm actually really good at saying I don't know because of what I got myself into by pretending to know everything. But yeah, like there are people that have dedicated their lives to like studying this stuff. So you know, have some faith in them because I didn't spend my whole life, you know trying to des design a new vaccine or whatever, but I, I'm watching and listening to people who do. So that's probably a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think this idea of parents reaching out to each other on a peer-to-peer -peer basis is very effective and the anti-vaxxers know that that's the the tactic that they use but from the pro-vax perspective i think it's important because it shows that you don't need to be an expert to understand the basic the essentials of the science of vaccines and the reasons why they work and that people are not being asked to simply you know check their brains at the door and just trust the scientists blindly yeah trust the experts blindly there are aspects of this can that can be readily understood by the the average person and that can be communicated by the average person to another average person and that and means I, that it's more accessible yeah. and i know so many um people on twitter even that are epidemiologists and you can you know find their information other places online that they're legitimate you can ask them anything and they're happy to answer you like you can ask them to um Oh, I, I don't know if I should share her name, but she's happy to share the autism studies that prove like there's no causation in regards to autism. She'll share those with anybody. She's got them like on the go, like here, this is why vaccines don't cause autism. She's so they're more than happy to share their information with you. You know, if you ask them, they're, they're happy to share it. Um, and you know, that's the other thing with the anti-vax group that I've kind of come to realize because a lot of things happened at the same time for me when I was going through this. I also realized my son was autistic and I didn't know that. I, 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 uh, I didn't want to understand that at the time. I thought autism was something horrible and that is something, that is a sentiment that is in the anti-vax community like heavily. They're always trying to cure their autistic children with diet and and supplement and detox and whatever else. And lately I've found out they're moved on to bleach, which is horrible. But I had this horrible picture of autism painted for me. And so when my son, my own son was autistic and unvaccinated till he was five. So, you know, he had a regression even that I, I saw, oh, he has a new baby brother now. So that's probably why or whatever. So. I missed it because of my preconceived ideas of what autism was. And so in this journey, I've also realized like, I had to admit that I was wrong about my son as well. So that was really hard for me. 
and uh, they don't do any justice to the autistic community at all. Now, there's definitely a very strong ableist tendency in the mm -hmm. anti-vax group, and that comes through uh, quite aggressively at times. And yeah. it's very disappointing to see because it's, uh, it actually dehumanizes children. Um, in very, very, in very many cases, they're dehumanizing their own children. And it seems to be more, uh, more driven by, by emotion than a desire to understand what is going on. And there's to actually almost a resentment do. there. Like, if I wouldn't have damaged you, you would be okay. Like, there's almost like this, this underlying resentment with, with how, and regret and what, like, I don't feel any of that with my son. I'm glad, I'm almost glad it came out this way because I don't know if I would have vaccinated him at that same time. And, and, and then he became autistic just by happenstance. I, I don't know I, if I would have felt the same as I do now. And I'm kind of glad I figured it out kind of simultaneously. I, I, it's not a what if I like to play with too much, but I'm happy the way things turned out. And I'm grateful that I, um, came to these realizations because my family's gotten nothing but benefit from it. Like everyone's doing so much better. Well, Lydia, this has been a, a really terrific and informative interview. So thank you very much for sharing your time with me today. Is there any final message that you would like to leave with our audience based on your experiences as someone who was basically pro-vax, then became vaccine hesitant, and then turned strongly pro-vax again? You know, the biggest thing to cure me of the conspiracies around vaccines and around anything really is the amount of times I've been accused myself of being in the conspiracy. Like nothing will cure you faster when people call you. I've been called so many different things. And this is what, honestly, I'll never fall for that kind of thinking again, because I know I'm not a cons like part of a conspiracy and the different kinds of conspiracies that I've been accused of being in. So like, if anything to take away, just know conspiracies are crap. And <laughs> there's no, like, there's nothing that makes sense about them whatsoever. And being on the, the end of being accused of one just really seals it in for me that that whole line of thinking is just inaccurate, wrong, and crazy and silly. Those are certainly <laughs> words to live by. <laughs> thank you very much again, Lydia. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Oh.